Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Worldwide Tax Daily. This week, tax regulation turf war. The Treasury Department has long sought to protect its territory on the approval of tax regulations, while the Office of Management and Budget has recently pushed to get involved. It's like the sharks and the jets, but with significantly less dance fighting. Here to walk us through the ins and outs of all this is Tax Notes Today reporter Jonathan Curry. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here again, Dave. So what is going on here? Well, earlier this spring, Treasury and the Office of Management and Budget agreed to revise a 35-year-old agreement that had basically exempted all of Treasury's tax regulations from review and final approval by the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, a small office within OMB. Now, in theory, OIRA, as that agency is called, was supposed to review all IRS regulations that were deemed to have an economic impact of $100 million or more, or that were major legislative regulations, which is like when Congress passes a vague law but then leaves it up to Treasury to fill in the blanks with regulations. In reality, though, that rarely happened. In almost every case, Treasury usually just defaulted to saying that its proposed tax regulations were merely interpreting the underlying tax law, and then bam! Problem solved, no review. Uh, for instance, since 2011, only one tax regulation has been deemed significant. Really? Only, only one? Yeah, just one. The Obama-era Section 385 Debt Equity Regulations. Now, after months of speculation and vague announcements by public officials that they were reconsidering that long-standing agreement to ignore tax regulations, they announced in April a new Memorandum of Agreement, or MOA as it's called, that established a new process. What are the basics of this new agreement? Well, in a lot of ways, the new MOA looks a lot like what was in place before. It spells out three things that will trigger review by OIRA. Number one, if it interferes with another agency's regulatory actions. Number two, if it raises unique legal or policy issues. Or number three, if it has an annual effect on the economy of $100 million or more, not including revenue changes. There are also a few procedural changes here. Once OIRA receives a tax regulation, it has 45 days to complete its review, although any regulations related to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act can get an expedited 10-day review process. That, however, can be extended if Treasury and OMB mutually agree to do so. Treasury is also now supposed to submit a quarterly list of planned regulations detailing what those regulations are and whether there's anything significant about them. Again, that's not a whole lot different than before, since Treasury already publicly releases an annual priority guidance plan, and that's updated various times throughout the year. The last noteworthy element of the MOA is that for the economically significant regulations, Treasury will have to do what's called a regulatory impact analysis and then submit that to OIRA. Is that new? Well, again, not really. Treasury has sometimes supplied economic analysis with its regulations in the past that evaluated things like compliance burdens, but now it's supposed to develop a more comprehensive analysis. It doesn't sound like much has changed. Yeah, on paper, not really. But it does look like the process and procedures will be more robustly followed, and that, in effect, means that more tax regulations will wind up traveling through OIRA's doors. How did this all come about? All right, well, now it's time to brush up on some history here. In 1981, President Reagan signed Executive Order 12291, which required federal agency regulations to provide a regulatory impact analysis for all regulations deemed major. Shortly thereafter, Treasury and OMB came to a temporary agreement that tax regulations would be exempt from this, except for what they called major legislative regulations. And then in 1983, Treasury and OMB decided to make things official and sign what's become known as the Memorandum of Understanding. In effect, that made the exemption from the centralized review process permanent. That's the way it's been up until now? 
Yeah, pretty much. President Clinton signed Executive Order 12866, which essentially just updated the old executive order. And we know of at least two occasions where Treasury and OMB have considered revising it. That was in 1993 and then later in 2003. But in both cases, they decided to basically just leave things alone. All right. Why change things now? Well, we have a new administration with new priorities.、Uh, President Trump ran on a deregulatory agenda. And so suddenly, this longstanding exemption that more or less let Treasury do as it pleased with tax regulations has come under extra scrutiny. President Trump issued Executive Order 13789 in April of 2017, which primarily told Treasury to identify and then reduce or eliminate any significant tax regulations. But it also included a section directing Treasury and OMB to review and then potentially revise the old 1983 agreement. I do think a lot of people thought this wasn't much more than a formality at first and that things would stay the same, just like they did in 1993 and 2003. And as it happened, in complying with the first part of President Trump's executive order, Treasury asserted that none of its regulations were significant. But the months stretched on and we never got a conclusion to the review and revise aspect. We did, however, start to increasingly hear cryptic statements from Naomi Rao, she's the administrator of OIRA, that things were moving towards revising and not just reviewing. So now we have the new agreement. Right. The agreement followed months of speculation that there was a behind the scenes battle of wills being waged by two members of President Trump's cabinet Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, who wanted to keep things the way they were, and OMB Director Mick Mulvaney, who wanted OMB to have the final say in how big tax regulations turned out. Now, this is the kind of political showdown that would be interesting enough on any given day, but of course, what made it even more intriguing was that Congress had just enacted the biggest tax overhaul of the last three decades. Does Mick Mulvaney get to declare victory now? Well, when the new MOA was announced, both sides sounded pretty darn pleased with the result.、Uh, publicly, I heard Treasury folks saying that they couldn't be happier with how it turned out, and OMB said that they were pretty pleased too. What's the catch? Well, suddenly there was the prospect that an already overwhelmed Treasury would rush to get out guidance on the new tax law, only to find that its highly anticipated tax regulations were getting swatted back and sent back to the drawing board. What would the problem be if、uh, some regulations took a little bit more time to make sure they were done right? A lot of people were worried because it's already tax year 2018. We have all these new tax provisions that have taken effect, and yet there are so many big unanswered questions about how exactly many of these new tax provisions actually work. A lot of the tax planning taking place right now is basically just guesswork about things like the pass through deduction or the international tax provisions. I mean, if you just take a look through our news coverage over the past couple months, you'll see tons of headlines along the lines of practitioners unclear about this or questions remain about that. It's just a big swirly world of unknowns and best guesses right now in the tax community. Well, aside from me having to have a discussion with some of the reporters about more interesting headlines,、uh, is the concern here that the regulations will get clogged up? Yeah, and we're working on the headlines, but right, the concern was that things would get jammed up.、Uh, there were also concerns voiced by some Treasury officials that giving OIRA and OMB in general more say in shaping the outcome of tax regulations risks politicizing the tax administration process. The idea is that the experts at Treasury are the ones who really understand tax policy, and so what value could OIRA hope to add except to insert opportunities for political shenanigans? How so? Well, if OIRA has the final say over a tax regulation and then a particular interest group doesn't like the way it's shaping up, or maybe they're worried that the regulation Treasury came up with is detrimental to their industry or carves them out of a tax benefit, they could, in theory, go to OIRA and pressure them to kill the rule. So the idea is that Treasury and the IRS are focused on administering the tax system, but what do you do if you have an administration in the White House that is openly anti regulation and clearly favors cutting taxes? 
I mean, if along comes a tax regulation that would raise a lot of revenue by cracking down on tax avoidance, is it possible that the agency whose main priority isn't administering the tax system, would they be inclined to shoot down the rule because its priority is reducing regulatory burdens? And in general, although there are political appointees at the top in Treasury and the IRS too, people want tax administration to be as free from partisanship as possible. It was a big scandal, after all, back in the 1970s when it came out that President Nixon tried to use the IRS to audit or gather information from the tax returns of his political enemies. And even more recently, we've seen that with the alleged targeting of Tea Party groups for audits. What's the argument in favor of making this change? Uh, I've heard people say that giving OMB more authority over tax regulations doesn't actually inject political partisanship so much as it creates an element of political accountability. There's also been a good amount of scholarship in recent years looking at whether Treasury's tax regulation process complies with the Administrative Procedure Act, and there have been some pretty vocal critics of what they call tax exceptionalism, the idea that tax regulations are unique among federal regulatory actions and should thus be treated differently. They argue that there are lots of regulations that have come and gone that should have been given greater scrutiny. And in fact, one of those leading critics, Professor Kristen Hickman from the University of Minnesota School of Law, uh, she was hired by OIRA as a special assistant to help implement their new agreement. How is this process playing out so far? And that's the real question. I think the answer is it's a little bit mixed so far. How's that? For starters, we haven't really seen much in the way of Tax Cuts and Jobs Act-related tax regulations all year from Treasury. And remember, the only tax regulations that are supposed to go through OIRA for approval are the big regulations that are either economically significant or unique policy-wise. But from the outside, it looks like they're still working out some kinks in the process. In July, OMB gathered a couple reporters together, myself included, to chat with some of their high-level officials. And one of the big takeaways from that chat was that OIRA still had yet to receive any TCJA-related guidance for review from Treasury, which was a bit of a surprise because it had been several months by now since they had reached that agreement. So naturally, I then reached out to Treasury to see if they had an ETA, and surprise, they said they had already sent four tax regs to OIRA. So they disappeared somewhere between Treasury and the White House? Well, it certainly seemed that way. Uh, after sharing Treasury's response with OMB, they basically said, oh, no, no, we only got those four regulations as part of our process for determining if those are significant or not and need to be reviewed. Instead, they said that those regs weren't actually officially sent to them for their final review. It was like two basketball players passing the ball back and forth to each other saying, you go first, no, you, no, you. Have they figured this all out yet? Well, it would seem like the basic process stuff like that should be pretty easy to smooth out, and I think that they are making some progress. The day after all that happened, Treasury issued one of those four regulations. Apparently, it was not significant. And in the weeks since, we've seen OIRA review regulations concerning the super big deal Section 199A pass-through deduction, as well as a Section 965 transition tax on untaxed foreign earnings. All right, so we've got smooth sailing from here on out. Well, maybe, or maybe not. We've learned that OIRA decided to waive its review of Treasury's regulations on the full expensing provision in Section 168K. Why's that? Well, that's the thing. We don't know because OMB wouldn't say. It's still unclear if this provision should have been reviewed under the MOA, but then OIRA gave it a special waiver, or if they were just trying to say, nah, it's not significant, there's no review necessary. But that in itself raises some interesting questions. The full expensing provision was a pretty big piece of the TCJA, and it was estimated that it would lose almost $90 billion in revenue over a 10-year period. Now, we know that for the purposes of determining if something is economically significant, OIRA does not count the direct revenue effects, but full expensing is supposed to be one of the most, quote, pro-growth provisions that gives the economy a jolt. So the question is, does this mean that OIRA only takes into consideration the economic effects caused purely by the regulation itself and then excludes any effect that would be caused by the underlying statute? If so, that'll probably mean a lot less tax regs will get reviewed than some people originally thought. 
Or maybe this rule was still considered economically significant for some reason, but OIRA waived the review because Section 168K is pretty straightforward and all the regs do is implement the statute. Or, you know, maybe they didn't review it because it didn't need to be reviewed. And, you know, no big deal. What should we be looking for going forward? Well, one other thing that I've learned is that while OIRA and Treasury are both in the process of hiring additional staff to help implement this agreement, that's mainly going to be people to handle the new regulatory analysis requirement, the federal government has a reputation for being a big unwieldy bureaucracy for a reason. At least as of mid-July, while OIRA has hired some people, they haven't started yet because they're still working their way through the hiring process. So one thing to watch for is if the review process gets log-jammed, if Treasury suddenly finishes all these big regulations, but then OIRA doesn't yet have the specialized staff in place to keep up. Excellent. Jonathan, where can listeners find you online? I'm on Twitter. You can follow me at JTCurry005. Thank you for being here. It's been a pleasure. Just a quick programming note before we move on to coming attractions. Jonathan mentioned the review of the Section 199A pass-through deduction regulations. Shortly after we recorded this episode, those regulations were released, and we'll be doing an episode taking an in-depth look at those proposed regulations very soon. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast feed to get it as soon as it comes out. And now, coming attractions. Each week we preview commentary that will be appearing in the next issue of the Tax Notes magazines. We're joined by Acquisitions Editor Lindsey Graham. Lindsey, what will you have for us? In Tax Notes, David Chacau of the University of Pennsylvania Law School explains what constitutes a decentralized autonomous organization, why the first one that existed failed, and some of the applicable tax issues, including whether one can be classified as a taxable entity and the extent to which it must comply with Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act reporting requirements. We also have Ari Glaugauer of the Moritz College of Law at Ohio State University addressing whether corporations that pay shareholder employees nothing could be obligated to via the reasonable compensation requirement, including that the repeal of Section 199A and increasing the corporate rate will likely be necessary to stop abuse. In state tax notes, Freda Pepper and Megan Miller of Reed Smith discuss the potential constitutional challenges to recent state legislation that permits true escheat which is the permanent transfer of rights to unclaimed property to the state. Kyle Richard of the University of Washington analyzes the tax policy behind Seattle's short-lived head tax and offers tax policy suggestions for other municipalities seeking to raise revenue to reduce homelessness. Tax Notes International has Sadesh Rao of T.P. Ostwal and Associates examining the theoretical background of value chain analysis and some of the approaches multinational enterprises can use to perform that analysis. We also have Michael Kandev of Davies, Ward, Phillips, and Weinberg examining Canada's tax reform efforts, including changes to both tax rates and the tax base. He compares Canada's approach with tax reform efforts in other countries, particularly the United States, and also makes recommendations regarding how Canada can maintain its tax competitiveness while also supporting its approach to social welfare. You can read all that and a lot more in the August 13th editions of Tax Notes, State Tax Notes, and Tax Notes International. That's it for this week. You can follow me on Twitter at TaxStew, that's S-T-E-W. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play to make sure you get the next episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com backslash products. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening, and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. 
Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.